Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Lewis Jackson. I know some of you know me, but some of you may not. Um, I'm not a pastor here at the church. I'm a lay speaker, which means I've uh, had a few classes in lay speaking. It doesn't mean that getting up here comes easily or naturally, but uh, every now and then we need to give the pastors a break from all of the work that they do. So today it's my turn. Just be glad it's not your turn, right? And uh, so I'm not a professional at this, so if I look at my notes a little more than you see Joanne doing, just be patient and bear, bear with me. Um, those of you who have seen me up here before, you're used to me showing some cartoons, pearls for swine cartoons. None of that today. I got other stuff instead. So uh, let me ask this, who in this group likes running? Yeah. Not very many of you. So who really dislikes running? Yeah, a bunch more of those. And who, who dislikes running so much that when someone tries to draw a comparison between running and something spiritual, it really messes you up? <laughs> All right, heal them, Lord, because we've got to talk about running. So, and specifically cross-country. So I've been a runner all of my adult life, but I never really knew what cross-country was all about until about a year ago when my oldest daughter, Megan, decided to go out for cross-country at Noonan High School. And you may see a picture of her up there because, yep, there she goes. If you're a parent of teenagers, one of the things in your job description is embarrassing your children, so I'm just doing my job. But it's a really neat sport. And if you're not familiar with how cross-country works, let me kind of describe it to you. Every Saturday during the fall, there's a cross-country meet. And schools will field runners anywhere from about seven to ten runners in each of the, in each of the races. Um, it's always a 5K, 3.1 miles. And you have varsity, and vars varsity boys and girls, JV boys and JV girls. And... Uh, they all line up at the start, and we may have a photo of the start one of these races, but you've got hundreds of kids standing there. The gun goes off. It's like a stampede. And they don't run on pavement unless they just happen to be crossing a road on the course. They're running through fields, through woods, and over hills, and often through puddles if there's been rain recently. And it's a really neat sport. Although they recognize the top runners at the end of each race, <clears throat> It's really about the team. So what they do is they take, for each school, they look at how their top five runners did, and the, the group that did the best as a team wins that meet. First, second, third, and so far on down. But the focus is how the team performs. Now, if you look at cross-country athletes, they're kind of a neat group. For one thing, if you see any of the microphone stands up here on stage, <clears throat> That's kind of how they're shaped, especially the guys. They have the 2% body fat. There's, there's not much to them, but they sure are fast. And they wear T-shirts that say things like, my sport is your sport's punishment. <laughs> That's this mentality about it. Um, and although they could never take down a football player, they can say anything they want to about you and run, and you'll never catch them. <laughs> But there is this mental toughness to it, because when you're out there for that 3.1-mile course, running as hard as you can, your mind is going constantly. You're focusing on your form. You're focusing on your pace, making sure you don't use it up too fast and don't save something for that final kick. 
um, paying attention to who's in front of you, who's behind you, who's with you. So it's a really neat sport. And one thing that has really impressed me about the Noonan team is prayer. And we may have a couple of pictures about them. Before every race, they circle up and they pray. And it's led by the students. It's a really neat thing to watch when you get to see that. So it is a team sport, but individual uh, effort is important too because at any given meet, those who run varsity were the ones who ran the fastest the week before. Therefore, you can have a freshman on any given Saturday who has a really good day. He smokes the course. He might get to run varsity the next week and bump out a senior from the varsity team. It changes week to week. By and large, it's the same faces for varsity week to week, but, but there is variability in it also. <clears throat> when we first got involved last year, what really struck me about the boys team that was so cool is that you had this pack of six guys last year, and there's even more this year, who all kind of run together. You may see a couple of pictures of some guys, some of whom are in this room here, uh, running together in a group. Now, for most schools out there, if you're out on the course watching, you see one guy from this school come by and after a while another one from that school and so forth. But the guys team at noon at the varsity, there's this tight group that all run a very similar pace and they're there together, hanging together in the race. And it is so cool to watch because they're pushing each other on and encouraging each other and, and competing with each other also to a certain degree also. Um, What was neat about the girls, it's not that it was boring last year, but it wasn't the same. You didn't have that excitement. It was very, very predictable. Because for the girls' varsity team, you would see the first one come through the finish. And then a little while later, the second one would come through. Always the same first, always the same second, and third and fourth for almost the whole season. After that, it got kind of interesting. But the first four never changed. Well, this year, we got a group of girls who are doing what the guys are doing. So it's really exciting because you see them come through in a group and these three are usually at the, at the front of the pack for the girls. But what's neat is that on any given Saturday, you don't know who's going to be first in that group. So what does that do to their mentality? Well, during the week, they're training hard because it could be their week. And during the race itself, they're really pushing themselves because it could be their week. <clears throat> and there are a lot of spiritual messages I could pull out of all of this, like uh, the importance of being in community and, and pushing each other, um, encouraging one another, spurring one another on. But the one I really want to bring out from this is the thought that on any given week, I could have that victory. On any given week, it could be my turn. Let's go to the Word of God. Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, only you know. Then he said to me, 
prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So I want to go through this and, and break it down. Tell you what, I'll look at my watch so you don't have to look at yours. So he starts off saying, the hand of the Lord was on me. The hand of the Lord. And in scripture, that can mean a lot of things. It can mean God's blessing, God's favor, God's influence in a certain situation. But in this story, the, the image that comes to mind for me is a dad on his son's shoulder trying to point something out to him that his son hasn't noticed yet. Like football trying to show his son, now watch what they're doing in the backfield. Don't watch the ball. Watch what's going on over here. Or if a dad's teaching his son to hunt, uh, pointing out animal behavior, for example. Now watch what, this is what they're going to do next. And what's going on in that is that God is taking his wisdom and sort of imparting it. The dad's taking his wisdom and imparting it to his son, wanting to show him something so that his son can appreciate the subtleties of that situation. Um, I remember when I was growing up, we lived in South Georgia. We would go to the Okefenokee Swamp periodically to fish. And my dad, my stepdad, was uh, really good about pointing out to us, now look over there under that tree, and that's where the alligator was. It's easy to miss him out there. And he was just, he had this amazing ability to see exactly where they were there in the swamp. And he only had one eye, too, which made it even more amazing to me. One, the only one that, he had two, but only one worked. <clears throat> and then, and, and he was trying to make sure we were aware of where they were also, showing us what he could see that we hadn't seen yet. And that's what God's doing here with Ezekiel. He's saying, you see this? I'm going to show you something. And then it says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the valley. So brought me out by the Spirit. Little murky, what does that mean? Well, could it mean that the Holy Spirit led him to this real physical place like Jesus in the the wilderness? Or could it be that the Holy Spirit just took it from where he was and kind of teleported him there, like Philip in the book of Acts? Or was it that God just gave him a vision of this place through the Holy Spirit. Because all of these things happen in the Bible. It could be any of those. But what was significant about this is that God took Ezekiel there to disciple him. 
He wanted to take some time to pour into him and to show him something. And, and when you read the Bible, you have to realize that what's going on with the characters in the Bible and what's revealed to the characters in the Bible, that's God revealing it to you at the same time. That's the point. That's why it's recorded for us, so we can get the same lesson, the same information. That's why it's recorded. That's why we study it. And then it says, the valley was full of bones. So, I'm going to give you a little visual here to go along with that. We've got some bones here. I'm going to spread around in a way to where I won't trip over them. And no, these did not come from the morgue at the hospital. I've already had to deal with that question today. <clears throat> Just want to give you a visual of what's going on here. Because God tells him to walk among this. It said, he led me back and forth among them. Why does God do that? Why did God make him get right up close to these bones? Because he could have just said, stood on a hill and looked down and said, look at that valley, what do you see down there? God wanted him immersed in the situation. God knows what's going to happen, right? And he wants Ezekiel to get an up-close, intimate exposure so that he will fully appreciate what he's about to do. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? God already knows the answer, right? But he's doing what God does, what Jesus did, what rabbis do. They ask a question where they already know the answer. Why? It's so the person they're asking will think about it and consider their response. And what does Ezekiel say? O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, because he uses flowery language, <clears throat> you may miss the fact that he bombed the answer. He didn't give an answer. He said, you know God. You ever done that in class? The teacher asks a question. You don't know the answer, but you want to cover up the fact of just how ignorant you are in that moment. So you try and come up with something that sounds good. And that's what Ezekiel is doing. We hold him in high regard, major prophet, all of that. He failed. This is chapter 37. He's been walking with God for 36 chapters. Doesn't he know what God is capable of at this point? <clears throat> Um, at work, we had an employee, and I'm not going to name names because a couple of my good friends and co-workers are here today, but uh, one of my co-workers, if I would go up and say, wait a minute, those I'm a pediatrician, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I would say, those parents did what? What were they thinking? And her answer would be, mm. <laughs> And we would laugh, and we'd say, you just said a whole sentence, and you never opened your mouth. And the funny thing is, I knew what she was saying, but, <clears throat> but that's kind of what Ezekiel does. God says, can these bones live? And he says, oh, oh. he hedges on it. But we don't have room to criticize, do we? We've seen God work in our life. We've seen him do powerful things in us. 
And then we come to something new, some new challenge where we haven't seen him work before. Or we imagine this one is so much worse. And meanwhile, God is standing right there saying, you know I can handle this, right? You know, we kind of hesitate. And we don't immediately do what we should do. It's recall what he's done before and move forward in faith. We hesitate. But that's what Ezekiel did. And if someone like him is going to do that, God doesn't judge us. God didn't condemn him for doing that. He went on with the lesson. He could have said, ah, forget you. Let me go find Jeremiah and see if I can teach him something. God is patient with him the same way he's patient with us. He knows we're not always going to give the right answer. But he loves us and he continues the lesson. And then for the rest of that story, you know what, what happens. The bones come together and then they start being covered with the things that demonstrate life and wholeness like a body is supposed to look like. And then after that, They become fully alive when God breathes into them so that they're functional and useful and can actually do something, be part of the army, contribute. In this restoration, what's neat is we're seeing the same two things that happened to us at the moment of our salvation. When we confess Christ as Savior... He restores us and makes us whole again. But the other thing that happens in the moment of our salvation is that God takes the Holy Spirit, His presence, His life, His breath, and puts it into us. And that is when we truly start to live. That is what makes us possible, makes it possible for us to contribute, for us to do things that contribute to the kingdom of God. By the way, any time in the Bible you see those three earthly elements, wind, water, fire, think Holy Spirit. Because all three are used as metaphors for the work of the Spirit. The Hebrew word for ruach, or wind, or spirit, is the same word for breath. So the breath of God that is being breathed into these is the Spirit of God, the same one he breathes into us. And this is part of a storyline that Ezekiel, that God has been telling through Ezekiel in these couple of chapters. If we went back to Ezekiel 36, what God is talking about there is taking the heart of stone and changing it to a heart of flesh. That's salvation. And then in 37, he's talking about the breath of God coming in and bringing empowerment. It's the second part of what we're supposed to get. And if we were to read on to verse 14, God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. That's what we're getting to. But do you know what the most incredible thing about this story is to me? The most incredible thing is God could have stood there by Ezekiel and just given a demonstration of his power. All right, Ezekiel, watch what I'm going to do. But that's not how he chooses to do it. He takes Ezekiel and puts him front and center and says, I want you to do this. 
God breathes into him, and then it goes out through Ezekiel to the bones. This is God's pattern that had shown up all through, all through Scripture. When God wanted to part the Red Sea, what did he have Moses do? Hold up his staff in his hand. That's right. And the waters parted. When God brought down the walls of Jericho, he had the army march around and the priests blew trumpets and the walls came down. When God was routing the Midianites, he had Gideon and 300 soldiers break clay pots and blow trumpets. And the battle was won. When he wanted to feed 5,000, he had a boy step forward first and then the miracle started. In each of these situations, did God need those people to do that role for the miracle to happen? No. Of course he didn't need that. He could have done all of that without their, without their role in it at all. But what God wants for us to realize, for his people to realize, is his plan is to let us be a part of the story. In each of those situations, God put that person there and then poured his spirit into him and out through there. So in each of those situations, that person was the first to receive the blessing. God could do all kinds of stuff without us, without our help, but his choice is to let us be a part of the story, to let us be a part of his work. That is awesome. That he wants us to be there. He doesn't need us, but he desires us to be in the process, to be in the story like that. So let's get to the application part of this. How does this apply to you? What are you supposed to take from this and, and see relevance in your life? Well, let me ask you this. Where, right now, is the driest place in your life? What looks like that place of dry bones for you? Is it a relationship? Is there strife in your family where people who should be talking to each other are not talking to each other? Is it a marriage where it just feels like a dry place right now? Is it that you have waited for a relationship and you're kind of getting worn out waiting for that relationship to come? It could be a work situation. It could be a ministry. It could be a diagnosis. Is there a place in your life where you know that the presence of God is needed to bring life back? into that place. What you need to realize is that God is standing right there willing to do it. And he wants to do it through you. He wants to breathe that, that presence into you and then things around you start to change. You may... Just like Elijah, you may feel like you've been put into a very uncomfortable situation. And you don't understand why God is making you get so deep in this situation. It may be because he is about to do something powerful there and he wants you to fully appreciate the work 
that is about to happen. We should not fear that place of dry bones, that place of emptiness, because that's where God is about to do something powerful. We start to imagine, though, that our situation is different. I haven't had to deal with this before. This one's really tough. Genesis 1, chaos, spirit of God, creation. He can handle what you have. So, if you feel like there's a situation that you know needs the presence of God, how do you pray for that? It could sound something like this. God, I need you to breathe life into my marriage. But regardless of how, regardless of how my spouse responds, make me a better husband or wife. Because what you have to realize is if your situation involves other people, God will not force a response on them. And his purpose in all of this may be to change you first in a good way. God breathed life into this ministry. You know I want to see fruit, but regardless of that, make me a better minister. God breathed life into my workplace, but regardless of what changes there, make me a better employee and coworker. God breathed life into this ministry into this diagnosis. But regardless of what happens, bring me closer to you. You know, it could even be something like, God, bring life into my dating life. But until that boyfriend or girlfriend comes, make me a better friend. You may be the primary thing that needs to change in your relationship before the rest of it starts to happen. Still, I understand it can be tough to get to that point where you pray that prayer. Some of you, I don't know, some of you may be dealing with a situation that may be already so far advanced, it's hard to imagine that anything could happen there. But don't sell God short on what he can do in your situation. If you don't have something like that right now, consider two things. One, you may in the future. And realize that when you come to that place where you need God to breathe life, open yourself up to let him do it through you. Second thing is, you may know of someone else's situation where you are grieving over what's going on with them. And God may be asking you to pray for their situation. Still, I know it's hard to believe that these things can happen. But I want to remind you of how it is played out among people in this fellowship. You know, several years ago, Rob and Christy were given a diagnosis that is pretty much a death sentence. But they allowed this process to happen. They said, God, breathe through us, and whatever happens, we're yours. Hundreds of people have been blessed through the foundation they created. Thousands more blessed by the story And they themselves felt a move of God that was more powerful than anything they had ever had. And Rob was given over four times. Rob lived over four times longer than he was supposed to. We have a couple who comes to this fellowship 
they felt like their family of two was supposed to expand and it wasn't happening. So they allowed the power of God to move through them and now they're a family of three. And the two of them, the mom and dad, are becoming people with a worshiper's heart like they never would have guessed. Uh, Some of you know Warren Budd, man in his 70s, who felt a call to go back to school to get a master's degree, a three-year process in Kentucky, remotely studying from here. And he chose to do it, and he started the process now, and his heart is so overflowing for, with joy about it that he can't stop talking about it. At least that's the subject this week. <laughs> Those of you who know him. These things happen. When you allow God to move in your life, to to let the Spirit of God, the breath of God move through you, these things happen. In a few moments, in a moment, we're going to ask the band to come forward and give you a chance to pray for this. But before the band comes up, I want to say one thing to the band. And you guys know I'm up there a lot, so I know what I'm talking about when I say this. If you're sitting in a worship service like this, and the Spirit of God starts to deal with you on something, to where there's a response that's supposed to happen. Do you know where the safest place is to hide from that? It's behind a guitar or a microphone or a computer. So band members, you'll get to go up there in a moment, but if there is something that is supposed to happen today, if God has put something on your heart to take to him about any of this, take advantage of this opportunity and don't leave here if you're feeling like God's supposed to deal with you on something. And for all of you, if you have an opportunity to pray about this today, and you're about to, I want you to pray with the mentality that today could be your day to have victory. It could be your turn to raise your arms in victory over this situation in your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, we thank you for the work you did on the cross that allowed us to be in relationship with you, that allowed us to be a vessel for the work of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we we come against those walls that would prevent us from receiving what it is that you want us to to get from you the power and the presence of your Spirit. Father, for these situations in our lives, situations where we know that your presence is necessary and needed to, to restore life, Father, we acknowledge that you may choose to do that through us. Thank you for the way that you change and fill and empower us when we're standing there at your vessel. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have of knowing that on any given day, it could be our day to see victory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to describe to you what this is going to look like. There are a handful of people who are here who are willing to pray for you if that's what you want. They're going to stand over here and you guys can come on up.
if you're one of those prayers, hang out over here. If you want someone to pray with you on your situation, um, come over to this side. We're going to bunch everyone over here. Come over to this side if you want someone to pray for you on that. You don't have to name the situation, although you can. But if you're not comfortable naming the specific situation, just say, I need the power of God in my situation, in my life. And I know I need to be part of that. They'll pray for you. If you just want some time alone with God at the altar, you got this side. And God hears your prayers here. But sometimes there's something about going up, praying with another believer that helps solidify and confirm the thing that God wants to do in your life and in your situation. So take advantage of it.